Hi, everyone. I'm Cheryl Rose, and you're listening to Maybe. This is a podcast that has been all about stories that look at the messy reality of working for social innovation. But it's May 2020, and like so many other things, that was then, and this is now. And the stories that I'm listening to right now are about messiness at a whole new scale. These times are both frightening and exciting. The changes that we are living through can feel depressing, and yet they're also promising. This is the reality of our lives as COVID-19 sweeps across our communities all around the world. I really want to take a moment to tell you that I hope that you and your family are well. It's been almost two months of lockdown, and many are struggling to make sense of all that's being revealed and all that is still unknown. I'm not even going to try imagining what's true for you. For me, my mind and heart are full of such big questions, and I have never been so aware of all that I don't know. These days, I'm not even sure how to be. I don't know what to think or do. This is a space in between, and it feels sometimes like being lost in the middle of nowhere. How do we live into that kind of uncertainty? That's the question that I brought into a call last month with my friend and colleague, Laura Page. Laura is incredible. She has taught at some of the top transformative learning centers in the world, and she brings a deep appreciation of human potential to her work. She's also a dancer, a wilderness guide, a painter, an entrepreneur, a coach, and she's in the midst of a PhD that focuses on psychology and complexity leadership. I also know that Laura lives on a beautiful, inspiring land. And so when we connected over Zoom, I took a second to ask her, what's outside your window? I closed my eyes and listened to her describe the special place that she calls home. I'm beaming in here from uh, a place on earth that has caught my soul. And um, it's in Southwest Colorado here, just outside of Cortez in a canyon that's now known as McElmo Canyon, um, traditional territory of the Ashui Pueblo people, um, the Ute Mountain people and the Diné people. And it is um, just lovely. It's about 17 degrees here this morning and we're just about to burst. So all of the cottonwoods down here near the creek are full of trembling buds. You can just sense the anticipation of spring. And just this morning, I I went to go check on a wildlife camera that I have out in some tamarisk. And there's a mama mountain lion with her cub on the film and so I follow her tracks and she I'm sure follows mine but this place inspires me to be both fierce and fragile at the same time southwest desert landscape and I'm grateful for its sanctuary and its reminders Mm. in this time (laughs) fierce and fragile are probably two good words to lead us into our conversation Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, let's just start from here. Yeah. What we know for sure is that many of the people that we hope to serve are feeling themselves at a personal level, at a family, community, organizational, you know, systems level, if they're working at that level, in the sea of deep, deep uncertainty. What's going mm -hmm. on now? What's happening? What's going to happen? What's the, what are things going to be like? And um, people have various reactions to that. And I think probably individual people have an up and down feeling excitement and there's possibility and then deep despair and fear, mm -hmm. um, all of those kinds of things. But you work with many people who learn to thrive in that kind of complexity, Laura, despite mm -hmm. its challenges. And so, you know, for yourself and, you know, any wisdom or thoughts that you have for others, what is it like to be in the spaces in between? Mm. Or, you know, what I sometimes call the middle of nowhere. We find mm -hmm. ourselves in the middle of nowhere. And how can we attend to that level of uncertainty and actually stay in those spaces for as long as we might need to? What's there for us? And how can mm. we stay there? <laughs> Thank you for these promptings. I feel very evoked by just even you asking those kinds of questions, which are not familiar or common, you know, lines of inquiry. I think more common would be how do we get out of it? And how do we, you know, plan and adapt for the future rather than doing that by fully inhabiting the in-between. And so maybe what I'll say to start, because this is, I think, sometimes an imagery, and the imagery that comes up as you speak those questions is, is of a threshold or a, of the crossroads, the betwixt and between spaces, right? The neither here nor there. And these are rich archetypal images. These are images that exist in almost every powerful mythology and human story. Mm -hmm. And we happen to be in one now on a global scale. And so maybe what feels important to say is that the, the in-between has always been known to be a powerful place of change and transformation. Mm. And that might be an important frame to just say, okay, we're, we're neither here nor there. But the one thing we do know is there's an opportunity for deep change. And, and the kind of change that invites us into greater alignment with what we see and feel is most important in our lives. And it's the kind of change that might not be comfortable, but will shape, hopefully for the better, in, in life-enhancing ways, what's coming next. So lots of examples, right? Like um, in the Wheel of the Year, in pan-European Celtic lore, the cross-quarter and high holy days, the summer solstices, the winter solstices, the equinox, these are all turning points of the season, right, that have been celebrated for a mm. really long time. So we're, we're looking at that, we're at a turning point in our kind of collective season. Yeah, so the archetypal helps, for me, give me a sense of how I can be in this moment more fully rather than trying to do or change or solve too quickly, because there's something here of an opportunity. 
And in the opportunity, there's both the deep grief of the breakdown that needs to be attended to acknowledge the uncertainty, to acknowledge the discomfort, to acknowledge the fear and the impulse to react and to really attend to the dying, right? To be the hospice. That's been so real for me and I notice it's so real for so many others. But I also feel that we want to sweep that under the rug. Yeah. Or, you know, we're feeling weird and we're acting cranky and we're mm-hmm. having trouble getting out of bed some days and we're watching a lot of TV, but not, not necessarily recognizing it and, mm-hmm. and speaking that this is grief, this is fear, mm-hmm. this is loss that mm-hmm. we're experiencing. Do you have any thoughts about how people could do that on their mm-hmm. own or maybe with others? that just helps to process some of that and honor some of yeah. that. Yeah, I think what comes to mind most immediately is if we're feeling uncomfortable, if we're feeling irritable, we don't often take a moment to pause and say, what's at the root of this discomfort? What's at the root of this irritation? What's at the root of this you know, kind of feeling of, of wanting things to change or of drowning in the moment? So just even taking the time for silence and reflection might seem like it's, quote, doing nothing or not productive, right? That's how we're sometimes conditioned to think and feel. But it might be the most illuminating and important times of our day where we can say, okay, I'm feeling irritable, and then start going down. Oh, underneath that irritation is fear or my family and my loved ones. And underneath that fear of my family and my loved ones is actually a fierceness to protect. Mm. And that's calling me to a certain kind of creative action. Like maybe I'll pick up the phone and I'll give someone a call, or maybe I'll go out into my backyard and lean with my back against the tree and feel the immensity of my love and protection, even though I can't you know, do anything about it right now in the in the more typical ways. So that kind of reflexivity and pause and, you know, going deeper is really important because it's, it's what fuels our action, yeah. right? Reacting and being able to take creative action. Those are two different kinds of action that right. I think we're all waffling between in this threshold, right? I mean, when we lose a person in our culture and many cultures this is when we rely on some ceremony and uh, I'm just noticing some of the circles that I'm in are taking a moment just to think of a bit of ceremony yeah I, I mean one of the frames that I hold for ceremony is that it's a it's a conversation with mystery it's mm. a conversation with the unknown it's you know, when something comes into our world that feels disturbing or evoking in some way out of the norm, it's like, how do we respond to that well? How do we enter into a kind of dialogue with that? And human beings for so, so long have responded artistically, poetically, emotionally, somatically. (laughs) When the intellect kind of can't figure out what to do, there's this whole other stream of being that we can draw from and and drop into and we can do that individually and we can do that collectively. Uh, And so, yeah, I think ceremony in, in however, you know, that manifests for each one of us, it might be something as simple as 
lighting a candle each day and just acknowledging that there's change happening in the world or, or reminding ourselves of an intention of how we might approach the day or the moment, those kinds of things can provide structure in the midst of, you know, a, a very tumultuous sea. And they can yeah. also inspire beauty, which is such an important thread to follow when we're in the midst of the unknown or when we're we're looking forward at what's emerging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean beauty in the sense of awe and wonder and possibility and not, you know, superficial beauty. Yeah. So those are some great suggestions. I love that you mentioned art and poetry and music and something that makes space for our emotional world, but also for our for our soul in lots of ways, which I think a lot of people are feeling some soul stirrings these days. And that might be fairly new for some people. And I think it is part of both the discomfort and the excitement, right? To suddenly yeah. feel at this very, very deep level, a sense of, wow, I am in these times. Yeah. And what might this mean for me and how I need to show up for my family, for my Mm -hmm. loved ones, for my friends, for my work in this world. And for me, that's soul whisperings, which Mm -hmm. also are very present in these spaces if we can make a bit of space to hear those whisperings. They're not always hit you over the head whisperings. (laughs) They're, they're, They're quieter, but thank goodness they can be kind of persistent. Yeah. Yeah, I think soul shaping is a big a big piece of these breakdown breakthrough moments. And you know, again, right now we're experiencing that collectively, so that brings to mind a lot of for me um questions and possibility around what's happening for us as a human family, but also individually whenever we reach a breakdown breakthrough moment in our lives, that's that's soul territory. That's like we're, whether we want to or not, as all of the mythologies or many, many mythologies instruct, we enter into the cook pot, right? We are, pot. we are, we are slipping into the alchemy of change and that happens on a real deep level. And so that is, I think that is one of the more, I'm going to use the word empowering ways of approaching threshold or liminal spaces is to say, okay change is happening whether I like it or not. Certainly my ego, like my day self, is going to have a lot to say about its discomfort here. But my soul self might actually be ready and willing to hear a different story now or to see a different direction or to anchor into a a deeper alignment and move from that place. Mm. And so it's, it's different from something happening to us the shift, right? As I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, what if this is happening for us? Mm. What then, how then would we approach, you know, our day? Or how then would we approach or just view the possibilities here? I love that phrase you used. This is not, not only happening to us, but what if this is happening for us? Mm-hmm. Which speaks to the gifts that can be in these times of uncertainty, right? Like why pay attention to it? Why not just get rid of it? We've talked about some of that, but is there more that you would say about the purpose of these kinds of times, the the potential that might be in these 
in these kinds of difficult times? Yeah, I, you know, I think threshold spaces, this might sound morbid, but again, I'm, I'm speaking more on an archetypal level. They invite us into a relationship with death and death being literal death. We're seeing that happen uh, over the world right now, but also archetypal death, aspects of ourselves, of our relating, of our work that are no longer viable, that are, you know, compost for the cycle of change. And I know for myself right now, on a very literal level, I'm having a, a conversation with my own death, the what ifs, you know, in a sense, the psychological preparation of what if something, you know, were to take that turn. I'm also having a lot of conversation with aspects of my life and my vocation that are disappearing and dying and falling away. And there's something about that relationship, even though it's very taboo in contemporary Western culture, that invites us to live more fully. Mm. And it's that paradoxical connection, right? To to really square up and face death, which a lot of people, myself included, a lot of us spend time numbing out or running from, pursuing more growth and vitality and aliveness. But the paradox is the more we realize, you know, things are finite and it's precious and my relationships are precious. Just the time I get in my garden is precious and all of that could disappear. And so how do I want to live now? And can I be courageous enough to follow that soul whisper? Because certainly for many of us, it'll bring us into scary, unknown territory that's going to ask more from us. So yeah, that's, I think death is a big piece of this story. And man, it takes some courage, right? To really say, come have a seat at my table. Hmm. I love all of that. Is there anything else, Laura, that you had thought, here's something else I just, I think I'd like to talk about. Anything? Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll also say, just last night, I, um, I have a practice of painting, of watercolor painting. And the, the subject matter that I choose to paint generally are creatures, like wild creatures from the land I live on, that I've had some kind of powerful encounter with or that I feel stirred by, or, um, you know, like a blooming cactus just caught my breath. And so I'm going to paint it because it's a way of, for me, getting to know it more, <laughs> uh, diving deeper into those feelings. And so just last night, I painted the coronavirus. Mm. And, uh, and it was a way of, again, developing a kind of intimacy with something that's very present now in my psyche and in our, in our world life experience and seeing what kind of beauty is there. What haven't I seen before that I could see differently? And so there's something to hear from me about the role of the arts that feels like a really powerful way of participating. And we spoke to this a little. And so this morning I was thinking of the romantic poet, John Keats, and he talked about something called negative capability back in the early 1800s. And what he meant by negative capability was this capacity to pursue a vision of beauty, even if it led us down these roads of discomfort and uncertainty, to be in a, a deep listening and kind of creating space in the midst of mystery without grasping for certainty or rational linear thought. 
And that term, negative capability, has come up in complexity leadership of late in literature and others are, you know, many people are kind of exploring what does it mean to develop a leadership capacity to dwell artistically, creatively in a, in a space of possibility without reaching for reason too soon. Because if something's as complex as, as this coronavirus is and all of its implications, then if we try to figure it all out too soon, we, you know, risk uh, premature simplicity, mm. right? And could end up doing more harm than good. So maybe that's an encouragement to really dream the most beautiful dream right now. Let yourself go into those spaces, which for you might take just different kinds of artistic expression. Maybe, maybe it's movement for you, or maybe it is poetry or painting or or having, you know, really lovely conversations with people who cooking a great call meal. Forth your soul. Yes, cooking yeah. a great meal. Um, right. We can all come up with different examples of that, but there's something like could we trust that cooking a great meal for our loved ones in the midst of so much unknown was actually a leadership capacity? I'd suggest that it is, and it might be one that we mostly most need right now, but so. Yeah, I love that that's both a way of kind of creating some calm and stillness, wanting to do something, wanting, you know, we're active animals, but also like I find if I can get busy with something that I'm kind of getting lost in a little bit, and that for me Mm -hmm. is about artistic practice. Something you get lost in a little bit, whatever it is, it's gardening or cooking or painting or drawing or writing, knitting, flower arranging, maybe bookshelf (laughs) arranging. I'm not sure, but there's something that you get a bit lost in and you're very aware of the aesthetic of it. You are looking for beauty. You're looking for something beautiful there. You want to create something beautiful. It's a way of being a bit busy and feeling, okay, I'm doing something here, but also it's a way of creating some space to stay, as you say, in these places of not knowing and allowing some room for some important new knowing Mm. to bubble up, to emerge. And it hasn't been only constructed by our very intelligent brains, right? It's not all logical. It's not all rational because in some ways that can catch us up in these kinds of times, but it's coming from a a more whole place. So anyway, I think what you're saying is so important, Lord. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that is part of what to do in these spaces is to seek beauty, to pull on our artist, because that's what's going to be needed. It's the same capacity, right? The the deep listening and feeling that's required to produce a work of art is the same source from which we'll need to draw when it's time to rebuild yeah. our institutions or our organizations or our projects or our work or our family life. It's the same. It's yeah. a creative faculty and the soul responds to beauty. So let's build soulfully from the ashes. Let's build soulfully from the ashes. I listen to Laura and I feel inspired. Her words also give me some strength. She reminds us of the power of the land, the wisdom in age-old stories and practices, 
the human necessity of acknowledging death, honoring grief, and following the threads of beauty. With no apology, she speaks to the territory of our souls. And as for that relentless uncertainty in our world right now, Laura encourages us to consider that maybe all this is not happening only to us, but what if it is happening for us? Thank you, Laura Page, and all of you who are helping others through this period of tremendous change. Let's remember that this reality is not the same for everyone. So, if possible, please reach out in whatever ways you can to individuals, communities, and organizations that are struggling, but who don't have equal access to resources and support. This podcast is inspired by the book Getting to Maybe, written by Francis Wesley, the late Brenda Zimmerman, and Michael Quinn Patton. I'm very grateful to each of them. My thanks to Esther Gad for good company, good conversation, and her very talented post-production support. Esther and I both live and work on the traditional unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples. And thank you for taking the time to listen, especially right now, as we get closer and closer to maybe. Maybe.